All right, welcome to the American Swirl Podcast. I am Rudy Martinez, and this is your co-host. Go ahead and say hi, Raul. I am Raul Elder, and uh, welcome to our, what is this, episode three? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you introduce our guest for us? Yeah, today we have a special guest. Um, he is known as Big Papa the Don to those on the East Coast. Uh, affectionately known as uncle to a lot of my cousins. I call him Pop affectionately. And uh, this is Raul Linwood Elder Jr. Senior. <laughs> yeah, 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 just like that. <laughs> yeah. Say hi, Pop. Triple OG. Triple OG. <laughs> so, Big Papa Don, how are you? <laughs> Loving life, baby. Loving life. Yeah, it's real easy if you let it be. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on today. We had a we had a bunch of things we actually wanted to talk to you about. Um, and Rawl told us that you would be, uh, I think, interesting would be uh, the right word, right, Rawl Junior. Uh, interesting. I yeah. Interesting is a nice way of saying that it, this will be fun. This will be fun. Yeah. So let's start off with asking you. Uh, Big wait, Big Papa Don. I'm just gonna call you that because I love that. <laughs> it's Big Papa uh, the Don. Uh, the so, Don. so we're recording this on MLK yeah. Day, and um, so why don't we start there? Why don't you okay. give us your your thoughts? Because uh, I understand that you were raised in the late '60s and early '70s. Um, I'm. Are you are you old enough to remember? Oh yeah. Yeah, I um I grew up in a house where in every black household there was a picture of Jesus Christ, Martin Luther King, and uh, John F. Kennedy in everybody's house. You had the great big wooden spoon and fork, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Martin Luther King, and John F. Kennedy. You know these were the dudes. And so yeah, we we grew up with uh, Martin. But I was kind of conflicted at that age because I was learning about Malcolm and I was trying to understand Martin and I didn't understand not fighting back because I was raised to fight back. So I just didn't understand not fighting back, you know, and even as a minister, um, I'm an ordained minister. Even as a minister, you know, I was called to the peace, the love. Uh, the brotherhood, the humanity, but I'm not part of the turn the other cheek ministry. I didn't sign up for that. So, you know, God bless you, but I kick your ass. Right. <laughs> you know, try Jesus, don't try me. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and then, then I hope you up and say a prayer for you, you know. Yeah. I but, think sometimes that's the, that's the only way to deal with uh, with some people, though. Yeah, my yeah. mother, God bless her, she carried the Bible in her left hand and the pistol in her purse. So nice. I came from that, you know? Yeah. And uh, so with Martin Luther King, I it took me a while to understand him. And, and then I didn't understand why people didn't like him until I was older. And I realized right. that he was a threat to the very people who were claiming that they wanted what it was that he was pushing. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. So when you see... When you see people who would probably in his day have uh, shit all over him uh, now quoting him and, and, and praising him, how does that make you feel? It's laughable. You know, some things ain't funny, 
but it's so true it makes you laugh and it's laughable you know because if he was here today he would be a problem to a lot of them right exactly he might have actually been barack obama right you know yeah it's laughable and then the thing that the bullet that hit him didn't kill him that the doctor and I think one of the sheriff's officers strangled him or suffocated him on the operating table. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, the bullet that he was alive when he got to the hospital. Martin Luther King was alive when he got to the hospital. I knew that. And there was a nurse and I guess a nursing assistant who were in the operating room thinking that they were getting ready to operate on this guy. And the sheriff and a government official and the chief surgeon were in the room. And I guess they didn't realize that the nurse and the assistant were there. And they decided that they were going to strangle him because they didn't want him to survive. And the nurse and the nursing assistant, after the fact, told the story. And that's why the King family was awarded all of this money by the government because of the nurse and the assistant who actually told the truth about what happened in the operating room. Yeah, he didn't die from his gunshot wound. They strangled him to death. Hmm. Wow. I don't know what to say to that. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me, right? Because of, again, the history of of what this country has done in the past and the atrocities that we've seen. So it it doesn't surprise me, but it's still still, um, astonishing to hear, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where to go with that. I, I just, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sitting here trying to pick my job off my desk. Yeah. So Um, knowing, knowing that now, uh, pop mm -hmm. and and seeing that now he's, he's celebrated. How does that, how does that make you feel like the way he was treated back then? And then now they hail him as a hero, the same people that, that thought he was a threat to the country now hail him as a hero. How does that make you feel inside? Well, I I have a lot of respect for him now that I understand him better. And so I've I've got moments of Martin in me and I have moments of Malcolm in me. So like if you ask me to describe myself, I'm like Martin mixed with Malcolm, a little bit of James Brown, some Prince and some Michael Jackson with a little (laughs) bit of Action Jackson, you know? So I'm... I'm good with everything because I understand these things have to happen. These did the way this happened, it had to happen. Why did it, it have to happen? Like why did why did MLK have to be assassinated? Why did why did he have well, I I had this conversation with with a, another person uh, uh not too long ago about um and 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 her take was that MLK should have just gotten on the sideline and waited for the courts to do what the courts were doing. And I, I, my take is why should anybody have to wait for the courts to decide on their humanity? Because that's what, that's what black people were fighting for, for, for their humanity, the sit-ins and everything else. It wasn't about wanting more. It was wanting to be able to sit at the same table. And so I guess, my question to you is is the same. Why why did that have to happen? Why couldn't that just be the default? Time doesn't exist. The reason they made watches 
will is so that you would realize that there's a time for everything. You see, without the watch, time is always now. And so Mark, Malcolm was of the ideology that the time is now. But the truth of the matter is he didn't know what time it is. He was ahead of his time. And because he was ahead of his time, he was out of tune with the environment that he existed in. And because he was way ahead of their time, they had to stop his time. Yeah. Because if they started operating on his time, it would have threw their time out of balance. He forgot what world he was living in. God bless him. He had seen the mountaintop, but he saw the mountaintop from hell. He didn't see the mountaintop from the mountaintop. You living in hell looking at the mountaintop ain't going to save you from the hell that you live in. He yeah. forgot what time it was. Did he or did he just decide that? Fuck it, I'm not going to be living in this time. I'm not going to live like but this because I deserve die. better. Was he, that didn't, he didn't choose to die. No, I know that. Yeah. But he also he also didn't choose to stay down in hell. He wanted to make it better. Right. And I think Yeah, yeah he I did. Guess, he did, but I mean, all I guess, of this had to happen. If it didn't happen the way it happened, what would be happening now? Well, in an ideal world, in a fantasy world, everybody would have a seat at the table and we wouldn't need for any of this shit to happen. You know the uh, only way everybody's going to have a seat at the table? How? Is if you make children with your wife and I make children with my wife and my children make children with other children's children who are all different races and all different nationalities and then everybody sitting at the table has a mixture of ethnicity in their blood. You mean like a swirl? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, because then I can't say, well, I'm fighting for blacks, I'm fighting for whites, I'm fighting for Irish, because they're all mixed in. Yeah. You see? But then what will happen is it'll be the swirls with the glasses versus the swirls with red yeah. hair. Yeah. <laughs> So you think then, so then you think that no matter what, there's always going to be an excuse for people to hate someone else? Listen, good will never, ever conquer evil and evil will never, ever conquer good because we live in a universe that's based on duality. Everything has an equal and opposite balance. So then do you, do you think then that it's not even worth trying? I mean, <laughs> you can try, but you got to know what time it is. And Martin was ahead of his time. Malcolm was ahead of his time. And they was out of time with the people who needed them to be on their clock. They was yeah. off the clock. Like me, I'm yeah. off the clock. So because <laughs> I'm off the clock, I stay ready. You know? So I... I guess my, my question popped, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like, it, it had to happen, right? Um, do, you, do you think if it didn't happen, we would have gotten... Like, do you think the civil rights... I guess what I'm trying to say is, if, if Martin was not assassinated, do you think that the, um, the Civil Rights Act would have been signed? They did Martin a favor when they killed him. Well, did it, because it, Martin was not a perfect person. Right. Right. So, 
If they couldn't have killed him, what do you think they were going to do to him? Assassinate his character. Exactly. If they can't kill you physically, then they kill you in a different way. They they cut your money or, or, or they turn you. They use the media to make you look like what it is they need. And Michael and Martin wasn't a perfect person. So he right. had affairs. He he might drink a little bit of liquor every now and then. You know, he might curse when he stubbed his toe. You know, and that would have been you know, all over the newspaper after a while. Yeah. I, actually, you know, I think a good uh a good frame of reference to see what would have happened to him or what how he would have been treated is if you look at the way that they treated Muhammad Ali when he decided not to go to Vietnam. Exactly. Uh, I think they would have treated MLK the exact same way if he hadn't been assassinated. They would have found ways to do exactly what you said, assassinate his character, make it hard for him to make a living, all of those things. Exactly. And because they have built him up to be the modern day prophet, his fall would have been three times, 10 times harder than Muhammad Ali's fall. Yeah. They knocked Muhammad down. And as far as most of the world was concerned, he wasn't shit no way, you know, so they right. knocked him down, but it wasn't like a big deal because people was like, he's the average Joe who, yeah. who got up and got knocked down and he got up again. But the pedestal that Martin was on, if they would have knocked him off of that with the type of slander that they could generate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I have, a, I have another question then. Um, Jesus, Martin Luther King, I get why JFK? Why did you guys have pictures of JFK? <laughs> I never understood that either. You know, I never understood that either. But I think because JFK, for whatever reason, had the black swag before the black swag was a thing. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely, 100%. (laughs) You you, you roll into the swankiest hotel and Marilyn Monroe is standing there in a diamond uh, evening gown singing to him. Like, who do they do that for? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the Kennedys were swagged out. (laughs) Well, that's what happens when you come from gangsters, right? Yeah, That's true. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he 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 had he had the kind of swag that was really good, and what made his swag so good was the fact that he didn't know he had swag. Right. Yeah. Because it was just who he was. Yeah, this is what I do. What? Yeah. Man, yeah. You've been thinking of me all my life. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I love it. So now that we've got. Now that we've gone through these last four years, we got the inauguration coming up. What do you what do you think about Joe? I don't think nothing about Joe. Joe just like another politician. You gotta understand something. Like Barack Obama, people don't understand why Barack Obama didn't do everything black people needed Barack Obama to do, but they don't understand where Barack came from. And, and anybody who talk about Barack Obama <laughs> and don't know who Lolo Salito is. Yeah. Lolo Centoro is. They don't know shit about Barack Obama. So you educate know, us. You you don't know who Lolo is? I might, but I don't think everybody listening is going to. <laughs> Lolo was Barack Obama's father. His right. stepfather. His stepfather. Right. And he adopted Barack. 
This man was George Bush's business partner. Senior. Senior, right. Yeah, business partner. Barack Obama grew up playing with George Bush Jr. That's why whenever you saw George Bush give Michelle a, a peppermint, right, and people thought that George Bush Jr. was flirting with Michelle, he, he wasn't. He was telling her, give this to Barack, because as children, Barack and George would steal peppermints from <laughs> senior. Yeah. It was an inside joke. And Barack Obama did what he did, and he came in a time when he was needed. But his major agenda was this uh, health care thing. Why do you think yeah. it was mandatory that everybody got health care? Because Lolo Centuro's company, or Lolo Salido, whatever you say his name, his company owns a major part of Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And that's why Donald Trump wanted to cut out, get rid of this mandatory health care, because he wanted to fuck up Barack's money. The richest living pe- the richest living president is Barack Obama. Not because Barack Obama is rich, but because he inherited fortunes from his stepfather. Huh. And Barack Obama was adopted by this dude. Yeah. Yeah, but the biggest secret ever, well, I just told you guys the biggest secret. (laughs) That was the biggest secret in the world. And so my thing is this, these dudes do what they do. Uh, Joe uh, Joe Biden is a politician. He's going to do what he does. And he's going to have something set up the same way like Barack was taking care of Lolo's business for Lolo and Bush. Biden is taking care of somebody's business. They're all sent there to take care of somebody else's business. Biden not going to take take care of my business. He there to take (laughs) care of somebody else's business. Barack Obama took care of Lolo's business. All right? George Bush Sr. had three presidencies. George Bush Sr. had his presidency. He had Jules' presidency. And Barack Obama cleaned it up real nice for him. So who was who was Trump working for then? The devil. <laughs> no lies detected on that one. No lies detected. <laughs> I, was, I was talking with somebody the other day. I, no, excuse me. I was well. I, I told that to somebody the other day, but I was talking to my mother before she passed. God bless her and. She was asking me about George Bush, not George Bush, about um, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump when they were running. And I told her, I said, Hillary's not going to win. And she said, why not? And I said, because Hillary's not in the scriptures. And she said, well, Donald Trump ain't in the scriptures neither. And, and I showed her the Bible. And I started out the devil. And everywhere the devil was, I said, there goes Trump right there, right there. And she started laughing. He's all in the Bible. He's the devil. And... And this is his agenda, what you see right now. Yeah. Because of everything that he did for the last four years, we're on the verge of a civil war. He came here to burn this bitch to the ground and rebuild it in his name. Yeah. Yeah. I think that gives him a little bit too much credit. I don't think he's that smart. 
Nope. I, I think I think that a smart people. He what? He's not that smart, but he's being used by the smart people. Yeah, exactly. You just hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. yeah. I, I think he's kind of a useful idiot for people who would do all of those things that you just said. Exactly. It's like a but hammer in the nail. The nail, yep. if the nail had any sense, the nail would be mad at the hammer. And if right. the hammer had any sense, he wouldn't be used to beat the nail upside the head. But that yeah. nail and the hammer are both in the hands of the man with the power. Yeah. So Donald Trump is just the hammer. So you think that, uh, so you don't think there's anything good coming of, of having a, a different president now? Oh, it's always some good. It's a balance. Everything is duality. It's always some good. It was some good with Donald Trump. No, you know. wasn't. Uh, well, I don't know about that. No, no, there was some good because you got to realize a lot of eyes were opened. A lot of eyes who di- didn't think that there was still racism. A lot of eyes were open who didn't think that there was uh, still the Confederacy in a large amount. You know, they thought it was just down at Hickory Hollow or yeah. uh, down at Elmo's gas station. Well, they're just right here. It ain't big. Yeah, the the whole I don't I don't yeah. see color crowd got got coloring books and some Crayolas. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, they did. yeah actually, yeah, you're right. You're you're right, sir. You're absolutely right about yeah. that. And it just, I think the thing that sucks is that I was one of those people who wanted to believe that we were better than this. Um, we all did. We all did. Yeah. And so he so, just opened everybody's eyes. Even the people who are blind to the fact now can see blue lives matter. Until they don't. And it was yeah. the Blue Lives Matter people who killed the Blue Life. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then they kidding. beat a few other ones too. Yeah, exactly. you're 100% right on that. Yeah. I wonder though, if having gone through that, uh, I, I, my fear is that now that there are people, because I mean, let's be honest, this last election, we had more people voting than we've ever had before. People are passionate. People are angry. People are whatever. Um but I wonder if people are just going to get lazy and, and forget about it like it never happened. And we're going to end up having to deal with this kind of shit again in the next generation, if not sooner. Time will tell. Well, what, yeah. what, what happens, like if you look at the trend, we, what's going to happen is people are going to be motivated for a time and things will get better. Right. And then we'll get, we'll get relaxed and we'll get complacent. And then it'll, it'll be a cycle where it happens again. There'll be another idiot. In the office that'll that'll ruin things. I mean, it happened yeah. with Woodrow Wilson. It's almost this last presidency is almost exactly how Woodrow Wilson's presidency went down with the Spanish flu. They refused yep. to mask. Hundreds yep. of thousands of people died, and you know, then when the votes came, they they voted that guy out, and we got somebody new, and it got better, right? And here we are, a hundred years later, same thing. So, so you're saying that history repeats itself? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like a cycle, right? I think yep. we might actually also be going toward a third party system too. Yeah, I, I was thinking that too. I would hope so. Are, are you I, thinking that it's going to be the Republican Party that, that breaks up, sir? Yeah, I am. Okay, because that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. There's certain Republicans who, who played the game because yeah. the game needed to be played, but now the game is over. And they want to get out, out of that game and start their own game. Yeah. Because they don't want to associate with Trump anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's going to be a three-party system. 
my question is, is it, it will it be a three party or will it be a four party system? Because you got you almost have three different factions right now in the Republican Party. Yeah, because uh, Cort- what's her name? Alexandria Cortez. AOC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she's not a Dem- she's not a Republican. She's, she's a Democrat. She's a Democrat pop. Yeah, but I think she's a Democrat, a Democrat heavily influenced by the same type of thought process that Bernie Sanders has. Yeah. And so I think that people who think like her and Bernie would split the Democrats. I think they're they're I think that the that uh, AOC um is a generation that is on the cusp of taking over the Democratic Party rather than splitting with the Democratic Party. I mean, let's be honest, Nancy Pelosi, Bernie Sanders, all of those guys, they're they're damn near 80 or older. And yeah. so their time you can see the finish line for them. We have a bunch of young upstarts like AOC, um Ayanna uh-huh. Presley and and yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah, I, really I, honest. I could see that older Democrats wouldn't understand them. Well, then it's time for them to get the fuck off the stage. Yeah, see, that's the I biggest agree. problem. Because yeah. them old parts want to stay on the stage and stink it up. That's what <laughs> they do. And I think there's an argument for both parties that that's true. Yeah, they, um, yeah, they want to get off stage. So now that we have, okay, so these are some of the things that I want to talk to you about, but I, the one other thing that, that Rawl and I were talking about was when we started this podcast, one of the things that I believe wholeheartedly at growing up in the, in the 80s in California and watching politicians divide the Latino community and the black community at a time when they were just starting to unify, the one thing that I believe wholeheartedly is if, if we could get a contingency of brown America and black America on the same page, and find all of the things where we have common ground and create our own voting block. We could affect change in this country in a way that we haven't seen probably ever, or at least not since the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a big, huge, ambitious goal with this podcast. uh, But that's kind of what I, I had in mind. And I wanted to get, I wanted to get your take on growing up in the sixties and seventies. I don't know that you, had a large Latin community where you grew up, but I grew up in a community that had, we had everything. I mean, LA was, was everything, you know, um, black, brown, Asian, you know. Well, I grew up at, we didn't have, well, we didn't recognize specific ethnicities. Okay. In my neighborhood, every Spanish person was Puerto Rican. (laughs) <laughs> right. Every, every, every Spanish person in LA is Mexican. <laughs> yeah. And so we, you know, I, when I found out that, you know, there was Puerto Ricans, Mexicans, uh, Spaniards, Latinos. You guys have Dominicans, I'm sure up there in Jersey. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, really? You separate yourself like that? <laughs> like, you They're all from like, different countries. They're all from different parts of the world. Yeah. But yeah. being a, being a child in New Jersey, they was all Puerto Rican to me. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know. So it, I I didn't understand how they could how do you could how could you even tell? You know, because right. I couldn't tell. And it was right. like Oh, I promise I you we could tell. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but growing up, you know, I didn't see the difference in my Spanish friends. Yeah, yeah. Were were loving people. Yeah. I mean, these were loving people who would give you the shirt off their back. They were loving, giving people 
And if and if they accepted you, you were accepted as a part of the family. Right. And that's how it was with them. And I love that about them. And and I learned something from them. Well, I learned something from it was these two dudes, Cuckoo and Diablo. And uh, <laughs> Cuckoo, I found out later, was the boogeyman. And Diablo yeah. was the devil. So yeah. here's Cuckoo and Diablo, which my friend's uncles, Cuckoo and Diablo. And they started teaching me some things. They also gave me a bunch of cocaine to sell. Oh, God man. bless you. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, they, they, they told me, they said, you're probably good with your hands. And I said, yeah. And they said, yeah, most black people can fight. You know, they really good with their hands. And being Mexicans, being Spaniards, being Puerto Ricans, being Latins, you know, will cut you. Not to kill you, but we learned early on that people are afraid of their own blood. And we were taught not to be mm-hmm. afraid of our own blood. Mm-hmm. So in order to be with us, we got to cut you. So they cut me. But I understood the logic because the first time I cut a nigga, he looked at his own blood and he didn't want to fuck with me no more. And I was like, oh, okay, this shit works. (laughs) (laughs) All I had to do was cut a motherfucker. Right. (laughs) I mean, it takes the fun out of fighting, but it works. Yeah. But if you got shit to do, you ain't got time to, to deal with fighting. You just get it over with and you, you get on get with it your over day. With, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ain't nothing ain't nothing quicker than a cup. That's right. That's right. Nothing like so now, nothing like black and brown unity by teaching somebody how to cut someone. Goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 We was doing we should change the name of the we should change the we should change the name of the podcast to cut a motherfucker. Cut yeah. a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think then? Do you think that there's um you think there's any chance that that we can get a large part of the 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 brown community, a large part of the black community on the same page? And I'm talking from a practical political standpoint where we can actually effectively, you know, get people in there that are to to borrow your words, they're going to work for us instead of somebody else. Listen. Black lives matter. All black lives matter. Brown lives matter. All brown lives matter. Then you meet that one black or that one brown motherfucker. (laughs) You know the one. You know that motherfucker. I know exactly who you're talking about. Fucking with these kids, the one that's out here snatching pocketbooks and beating grandma upside the head. And he's selling drugs and he's robbing the neighborhood. Does his fucking black life matter? Does his brown life? Fuck him. And that's why it's not going to work because of that one motherfucker and you're going to meet him. And he's going to fuck the whole thing up because it's somebody who ain't going to be able to let that shit go that he hit grandma upside the head and took her purse. Fuck him. His black life don't matter. Damn. Okay. What? <laughs> I can't argue with that. I, I just Black lives matter to you fuck with my kids. Yeah. Black lives matter to you coming to this neighborhood with that bullshit. If your black life don't matter to you, fucking don't matter to me and I love you and I will kill you with love in my heart. 
<laughs> I think we have the name for this episode. I will kill you with love in my heart. <laughs> Heartfelt killers. That's right. Um, that was wrong. You were not wrong about your dad. This has been fun as hell. I told you. Um, you did. So pop. <laughs> so pop yeah. in the seventies when you were growing up. Um, speaking of black and, and brown people uniting and, and unifying, there was a movement with the, the Black Panthers and the Young Lords in, in New, York, <laughs> New York, New Jersey area, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you were around for that. Do do you remember, or, or is there anything you want to tell us about how that went? Like just watching that happen, and because I know, like on the East, like in LA, it's more separate. Like black people, brown people, in some areas, don't really mess with each other. Where I grew yeah. up. Where I grew up in New Jersey is like it didn't really matter what your your race was really, it right. mattered what neighborhood you came from. So like in my neighborhood we had black Puerto Rican. There's a lot of Colombians in Plainfield, um, but it didn't matter what your ethnicity was. It was where whatever neighborhood you came from. But, well, right. where we where we grew up at was mostly black and one or two Hispanics. Like I said, I don't know their specific ethnicity, but a few Spanish people. And um, we stuck together. And um, the Black Muslims were there. And so we were more favorable. We had more in common with the Black Muslims because they lived in our neighborhoods. The people who were part of the, the, the Black Panthers was an underground type of thing. So you didn't know who was a Black Panther until you saw them doing some Black Panther shit. Because they didn't walk around and say, hey, we're in the Black Panthers. You know, they was on some gun shit, though. But my whole family, my father was a gunsler. You understand? My my mother was a gunsler. And they had riots in our neighborhood. And I can remember my father and my mother on the porch with uh, Mossberg pumps. And, and pistols <laughs> holding down the neighborhood. And the only thing that mattered was the neighborhood. And my father and my mother was out there with pistols and, and pumps. Uh, uh, my friend's father was out there and the, the black Muslims was out there. Our Puerto Rican neighbors, we protected our neighborhood from all comers. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. And um, yeah. there was a, there was a thing uh, after the riots. Brother Linwood, who also protected our neighborhood and was big with uh, the pro- progression of matters involving Black people in our community. Brother Linwood, I had a, a place called the African Queen, where a lot of the younger African American brothers and sisters would gather. And uh, they got caught with some guns in there. And that particular day I had got, went to school. I was in junior high school. And uh, the principal took me in the office. And that was during the time when principals would yoke you up, you know, grab you by the collar and try to scare the hell out of you, you know. And so when he did that to me, I hit him. And he told me that he was going to kick me out of school. And I told him, you kick me out of school, my father in the Black Panthers. And he'd come down here and kick your ass and burn the whole school down. And uh, <laughs> the next thing I knew, it was police, FBI. They went to my father's job. 
uh, locked him up, put him in jail. Yo, when he got home, he fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, he fucked my ass. You told me the Black Panthers? I was like, yeah, I was just trying to get him up off me. He's like, don't you know that all the shit? Then he started running it down to me, like, you know, all the stories that I got. <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking at him like, look, I just needed to get this dude up off of me. I apologize. Got you jammed up like I did, but fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I did I a lot of stupid shit, but I never had to apologize to my dad for getting the FBI on his ass. <laughs> when, I, when I was finally allowed to go back to school, though, nobody fucked with me. Yeah. Because <laughs> the rumor had got out. Well, his dad's in the Black Panthers. You know, the rumor had got out. So it's like, yeah, motherfuckers. Nice. <laughs> so wait, when you when did how what grade were you in when that happened? Like, how how young were you? Uh, shit, that was like seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was black. I was black in the oh, black baby. Yeah. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, I was the kind of kid that you kept away from your kids because I would yeah. tell yeah. your kid, I would tell your kid it wasn't no Santa Claus, that type of shit. I was playing in the living room and my dad was in there drinking Jack Daniels and I was talking about Santa Claus. I had to be about five talking about Santa Claus. My father was just looking at me. My father had this way of looking at you but looking through you, you know. Yeah. And he was just looking at me, and I knew I had fucked up, but I didn't know how I fucked up because I'm talking about Santa Claus. Like, who's mad at Santa Claus? And he was like, what if I told you I was Santa Claus? And I was looking at him like, you ain't Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't even fat or white. <laughs> so he said, well, what'd you ask for for Christmas? So I told him all the little shit, G.I. Joe, you know, little shit. And he said, what'd your sister want? I was like, Easy Bake Oven, Barbie, the little bullshit, you know, uh, Tonka trucks and uh, H.O.'s cars, the little racing cars. He said, come here. He took me in the room, opened up the closet. Every fucking thing I asked for was in the closet. So he was like, yeah, I'm Santa Claus. I was like, oh, shit, you are Santa Claus. <laughs> Holy shit, I couldn't wait to go to school the next day. Got to school the next day. So, yo, my dad is Santa Claus, but... <laughs> All the other kids was like, your father not Santa Claus? I was like, my father's Santa Claus. Your father's not Santa Claus, I'm telling you. So that the fight started after that. Because <laughs> not only did I think he was Santa Claus, but I thought he was Santa Claus for everybody. Right. I was still a little kid, you know. So I didn't realize he was just telling me that he was my Santa Claus. <laughs> That's amazing. I thought he was claiming the whole shit. <laughs> I think that is the perfect story to end this episode on. <laughs> oh my god, that was amazing. That was amazing. Um Mr. Elder, I want to thank you for coming on with us. You have been absolutely everything as advertised from your son. <laughs> oh, yeah. So just so for everyone to know. This is not an act. This is actually a, a phone conversation that, like, if I was on the phone with my father, this would be the type of conversation we would be having right now. <laughs> I just want to tell you that, that I, I really love my son. I'm really proud of him. 
And when he was a little boy, I used to take him everywhere with me. And um, just to see him where he's at now just fills my heart with pride and puts a tear in my eye. I, I get emotional just talking about it. I try not to let him know that because I was always really hard on him. And um, I, I was really hard on him because I wanted him to be better than I was, you know, because my dad wanted me to be better than he was, but I got involved in that street shit and it went a whole nother way for me. And then you add that street shit with the drugs and it, and it just spirals out of control. Thank God, though, because of solid foundation, I was able to bring myself back. But I, I was really, really hard on him because I, I, I just wanted him to be mentally tough. You know, and then the fucked up thing about it is I raised him and his brother, Rasul, the same way. And the same fucking crazy shit I did to Little Roll to make him mentally tough, it broke his brother. And it fucks me. I was like, how did I? It's the same shit. You know, but people, everybody ain't the same. And I had to learn that the hard way, you know. But I'm really proud of you, son. And um, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I love you. Love you too, Pop. Thanks. Yeah, Rudy, you all right too. You said you was a bit Thanks, of an sir. asshole, and you said you didn't <laughs> like assholes. But let me tell you, something. <laughs> pay attention to assholes because you learn a lot about shit from an asshole. You learn a lot about shit from an asshole. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. And uh, I think we're gonna wrap it up now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in, Pop. Thanks for for uh, chopping it up with us. We really appreciate you. Hopefully, we could do this again soon. Um, Definitely. And uh, the American Swirl Podcast. We are signing off.